Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I am really excited to talk to a rock star shelter partner of the New York Cat Film Festival, Karen Glass is part of the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, quite a mouthful, and they sold out not one, but two showings of the Cat Film Festival in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Karen, congratulations on being the single most successful shelter partner in the United States of the New York Cat Film Festival. I'm very excited oh, to meet you. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Well, Tracy, I feel the same way, and thank you for sharing that. Yes, it was a pleasure to to work with the New Report Screening Room and, and bringing it to the community. It was delightful. Well, obviously, the community is already, I won't say in the palm of your hand, but they must adore <laughs> you. They must love what you're doing for the, the cats locally. I, that has to be a good part of it. I mean, I know you, you, I think you saw the festival and enjoyed it yourself, I right? I did. I did. So we, you're absolutely right. We sold out two matinee performances on Saturday and Sunday, this, this uh, January 14th and 15th. And I had the fortune of getting my tickets early <laughs> and seeing it on the 14th. And I think... Um, what was really interesting to me too, Tracy, is I know that the the films are, are curated from around the world. Yes. Um, and but what's interesting is when there were people speaking on camera, um, it was it's universal, right? Yes. What they were talking about, yes. I could have been having the same conversation, and I have had same conversations with coworkers, volunteers, supporters, and I think it's that universality that that really was amazing how it resonated because. Um, some of the different films really talked about, you know, the wonderful relationship that felines and humans have. And what I also found interesting was the, the, the groups who were trying to find solutions to the problems. Mm -hmm. And really, that's been, that's MRFRS's DNA. Um, it's, it's easier sometimes to say MRFRS, but it is Merrimack <laughs> River Feline Rescue Society. But um, I think finding those solutions is really, that's really where the organization started. Um, in 1992, a group of individuals saw a terrible situation of a feline overpopulation, a feral cat colony, was frankly suffering down near the waterfront in Newburyport, um, and they did not stand by. They said, we, we have to address this for the health of the cats, the health of the community, because, again, they were, as you can imagine, 
roaming into restaurant dumpsters, and it was really a terrible scene to see. Um, So they stepped in and created a trap-neuter program. Um, As you can imagine, when we do those programs right, you find that some of these kitties aren't so feral. They're adoptable. Right. Um, That led into having an adoption program, um, and it's slowly but surely over the last goodness, we're entering our 31st year of operation, our programs and services have grown to really not just address the current situation, but how can we prevent, right? How can we find solutions before they become problems? Well, you you couldn't have been more articulate about it because that is for me as as the curator of the Cat Film Festival, what's so thrilling and maybe in some ways also depressing, depending on how bad the plight of the kitties Mm -hmm. is in any one place in the world that it is a universal problem and the misunderstanding universally about what a community cat colony is and how trap mm-hmm. neuter return is the solution. And of course, there's other other elements behind that solution, which I want you to talk about. But you're right, the universality does connect cat lovers really around the world. And in some place, cat haters, right? I mean, that's one of the issues is how do we explain to the people that don't want cats pooing in their vegetable garden or uh, upsetting their indoor cat by being outside the window? What do you find is one of the biggest challenges for the volunteers who are the backbone of any trap-neuter return organization? What What are the biggest... Um, challenges in terms of those who just say kill them all, as the Australians right. do. Oh, I know, I know. And I think um, the good news is, right, I think where we are, there's certainly more education and respect. Um, so that's a plus. Um, I think there still are some misperceptions, misconceptions, the right mm-hmm. word, um, where, you know, I think people think that cats should be out and ro- they, they should be roaming, right? That they're. Um, that that's a natural place to be, so to speak. Um, and then there is still some lack of education about the importance of spaying and neutering. Um, and so then that leads to that, that feeling overpopulation very quickly. I think people think, well, I'm doing a service. If I just put out some food. Right. And again, it goes back to that's that Band-Aid. You are indeed feeding those hungry kitties. And, and I understand that. And that is helping that one moment, that one cat, so to speak. However, if we're not addressing the larger issue and spay-neutering, then you're going to have multiple cats. And, and you can't, as much as people try, and I think that was even in one of the films at the festival, there's a limitation to how much you can continue to feed that, that colony. It will grow quickly, um, considering how fast that they can reproduce. And you're also and encouraging the, the reproductive system to be healthy exactly. and hardy, right? A exactly. cat exactly. says, great, I'm going to you know, go do some baby-making. Exactly. And and I think, you know, it's it's the sad part that people don't always see. And that's why, you know, thank heavens for the trappers who work with us as well, um, who are they're they're on the front line. They are seeing what's happening with these cats, right? And the suffering that happens because and you know this, right? You know, in an in, in neutered male, they're gonna start fighting, right? There's yes. going to be other issues that they get hurt out there and because they're not being, you know, treated as a in a family situation, a family cat you know, those wounds, they, they can get become infected, become much more dangerous for them. Um, so there's those issues that, that, that arise. And then little kittens are not meant to be out in the elements, Correct. right? As much as mama cat's going to try her best to protect her litter of kittens, mm, you know, it's, yeah. it is not it's a an easy sad situation. Story. The, the, the death it's rate, totally the is. suffering rate. So, the suffering rate, absolutely. So and you there's say, a lot of adoption for that. 
so you say education is mm-hmm. is your is your best card to play is to educate people on the importance not just of spay neuter but not letting cats be free roaming in the modern world because we're not living in ancient Greece where cats can just wander around the Parthenon and there are no vehicles to take them out. Exactly. I think it's two things. I do think it's education to continue to make sure people understand um, how important it is and how soon you should be looking into it. Um, because again, these little guys can reproduce quite quickly, right? The, uh, the six by five yes. motion that's going out there. So it's, I think people think, oh, it's probably first year. And like, Mm-mm. Um, you're going to want to make sure you're going quicker. And also really providing access. That is something else that, that MRFRS that we work with because um, we have our Catmobile program. And as the name implies, uh, it's a mobile clinic that offers low-cost spay-neuter um, as well as vaccination and, and microchip. But the key thing is being able to take that mobile clinic around the state of Massachusetts to be able to provide um, access to. Um, as I'm sure you know, you, you've probably covered this topic many times because it's something we're all facing right now, access to uh, in terms of the veterinarian shortage and yep. where they're able to provide spay-neuter surgeries. As we've just spent the last few minutes talking about, vitally important, but they are not always considered emergency surgeries, obviously. So there's a priority or a hierarchy with vet care. Um, so access to and then cost, right? Yes. Can people afford to do the right thing? And, you know, it's amazing to me. I, I guess the area, I'm ignorant of specific geographies. You're in Salisbury, Mass., Newburyport. Is it, is it a fairly affluent neighborhood or area, let's say, geographically? I would say, and there's pockets. As with most most areas, I think that you can oftentimes there's different pockets of of affluence. Um, Newburyport on the water a little bit more, but no, I think you know in different areas of Massachusetts, and and um, obviously we're more specifically on the shore to give you a little geographic reference. But um, but absolutely, and I think it's really just coming down to where people, especially as we are still in this pandemic, but the economic impact that it's had. Yes. And again, they want to do right by their pets. So I think when we do talk and educate, we are great to hear the community is understanding of that. Then the next step becomes, all right, then where do I go to get this done? Um, and that's why, you know, we're grateful that two-prong attack, if you will, the Catmobile for owned cats, uh, and then we do um, feral clinics. We call them our Sunday feral clinics because that's when they take place. Um, and we do those once a month. I'm going to say it's March or April we start. And the only reason why I hesitate in saying that, it depends on really when that spring warmth comes right. in here in New England. Because if we're going to do those spay-neuter surgeries for the ferals, we want to make sure, you know, the weather, if you will, when they're going to eventually be released back um, is appropriate. And so um, that is stationed by all volunteers. We have veterinarians, wow. vet techs, et cetera, who come in. So the trappers are able to trap the animals they have that they've been working with in the colonies, bring them in, have them spay and neutered so that, again, if they're returned, we're just not continuing the population concern. So when I asked about the affluence, what I find wonderful is you're talking about the whole state of Massachusetts. Obviously, you don't reach every town and borough, mm. but your own right. community probably being possibly more affluent, possibly more educated, having more availability to services – if you were only dealing with your area and the need to cut down on the population and spay and neuter every loose cat, you would be too successful. 
I mean, then you'd be out of business, as it were, because you, you would have solved the problem where you are, but you look beyond that. And not only that, but you're able to afford the the Catmobile. These are huge expenditures. That's why I'm going to go back to what I said in the beginning. You are mm. very loved in the community, obviously. People really Absolutely. respect and support with their dollars and their volunteering what you're doing. That's in a way, kind of its own global outreach, in my view. What you're oh, doing, I you're reaching you beyond that. where you are. You may, not, you know, you may not be reaching reaching Turkey as a country, <laughs> but um, but you're doing great work in your own state, and th- I think that's pretty unusual. Most work that's done is is quite localized, don't you think? Well, absolutely, absolutely. And the different size of the organizations and the Catmobile is probably that aspect that gets us, again, that mobility. Um, but I do agree with you, Tracy. We we have such loyal people who understand what we're trying to do and support us and have supported us. Because, again, as I said, you know, this is that 31st year of operation. It's amazing. Um, so people, it, it is amazing, right? And, and considering the history um, and to your point, a little bit sad. We're not out of business yet, right? That isn't, right. That isn't changing. Um, but we are finding, you know, more success with being able to certainly change the tide. And certainly the, there is there is no longer that waterfront colony issue, right? Um, many of the feral feeding stations we've had have frankly been retired. Wow, um, that's so great. It is great. It depends on where other parts of the state, though, and that's where the trappers are working hard to, again, see what we can do to help them to address some of those other pockets where... It, you know, it hasn't happened as quickly, but we could not do it without the fantastic volunteers we have. Um, and again, our business partners. And um, and that's why it was great to even, you know, work with the screening room to work yes. on the festival. That was a new opportunity for us both to learn each other's, um, you know, our, our clientele, so to speak, and who we have in the community. And it's, it's wonderful to bring them together. And you can see them and they can see that what they're doing and what they're supporting in your work is part of a universal problem, and it's kind of, it's so funny when you, and it's, and so therefore they're helping something that is educating people well beyond their area. So if you love cats, you, you're you not just going to love your own cat, which is why all of you feral cat people are so amazing to me. It isn't mm. the cat in your living room. It's not the cat purring on your lap. You're doing this for kitties that you may have absolutely no personal connection to other than wanting them to be safe and sound. But it's funny when you say trappers, maybe you could describe what what some of your volunteer trappers are like. I hear trapper and I think, wow, that sounds like Davy Crockett wearing a raccoon cap. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a, If people aren't familiar with what an integral part of TNR the trappers are, the trappers are the volunteers. They are the rescuers. So can you describe a little what their challenges are or what their how they go about doing their work? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you're right, they are the unsung heroes. Yep. Um, because oftentimes, you know, they'll get contacted by somebody who, and again, it may have started off with that, I'm feeding a cat, but then suddenly it came around the corner with all of its babies. Yes. And, oops, there's more, you know, um, usually if you see one or two, here come the rest, right? Yes. And so uh, they are the ones who are known in their communities. They're contacted. They will come out. Um, with their traps, their cages, and you must be very patient to be a trapper because right. depending on how long that cat has been feral, just putting the food in the cage is not going to trick it to get in there. Um, so it takes a while. They're trying to assess how many, um, and that is part of it. How big is this particular colony? What is the situation and how long it's going to take to trap, and again, 
that's why we have clinics to help them because once that animal is trapped, we're not expecting them to have to go out and spend several hundred dollars to spay or neuter. Gosh, so no. that's why it's, it's very important for them to have access to someone that can help them for free to do that. Um, and then making sure if they're putting the animal back again, what's happening within that colony. So, and I, you know, they're amazing because they're doing this in all kinds of weather. Um, you're doing this, you know, dark at night, you're trying to help animals. Sometimes the animals again are injured. Um, and so you're trying to make sure you're not hurt as you're capturing these animals and providing as best the medical care that you can. Um, so like I said, amazing work that they do. And oftentimes this is not, this is not their day job, right? They, <laughs> well, they, yes, they have I would say that, that yeah, you know? given that it's 100% volunteer, physically demanding, mentally demanding, absolutely. I hope it's not their day job. But they <laughs> probably are not. working a job, yeah, to make money, to right? pay their rent, to buy another, have a heart trip. You know, and they're trying hard, too, to see. And, and really, to your point earlier, they, they – they may and oftentimes are cat owners, It's, but it's that I still, my heart goes out to that cat and I want to help it. I want to see what we can do to help the animal. And so amazing work that they do to be able to be dedicated to that and, and, and help the people who do contact them saying, I've seen this in my neighborhood or around my apartment complex. What can we do? Um, and, and really, it can take a while to be able to impact a colony, right? To make sure that you've captured everybody. Uh, it only takes that one unspayed female. That's right. You know, here, here comes the path again. So yep. um, bio to make sure then, you are tracking the cats. And then you'd be discouraged. I mean, you haven't been supported by the community, both in volunteering and money for 31 years, because you haven't been totally successful where you are and on the waterfront, because otherwise they'd say, well, this TNR thing can't be working. If 31 years later, we're still trapping, neutering, and spaying and feeding colonies right here in Salisbury, Mass. But the point is that you have conquered it there. So it is it it is a problem with a solution that works, but it takes it really takes a village, doesn't it? It absolutely does. That's a great way to say it. It really does because, and 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 the business partners that also see that, and they've been great supporting us as well. Right to your point about the, oh, the right. different programs and services we have, because they too have seen that, and and they see again, cat fans. They're the best, right? They, they like, are. And we we had the festival. People were laughing, crying, cheering, and applauding. It's wow. different because again, it I resonates. Been right, there. it resonates what we're seeing. That's a, that's a great feeling. That the, there is no doubt that. The cat community is is the most uh, participatory, both in the work and also in the joy, at least as far as the cat film festival goes. You dog film festival goers, you're going to have to up it a little bit. You're going to have to up <laughs> your game a little bit. Just a minute or two more, Karen, to talk about the adoptables. Sure. What percentage, mm -hmm. um, what do you see about the cats? You think, this is no feral cat. This guy wasn't born wild. He's just looking to get in the house. It, are these cats that have been tossed out by people? Or are there a lot of them compared yeah. to the ones that are born in the wild? No, no. And again, it really can depend. It probably depends, too, if in some cases they may have been set outside. Uh, in other cases, it could be that it's just where they are in socialization, right? And and every oh, cat right. has that unique personality. Mm -hmm. um, but we've been, you know, the, one of the other hallmarks of, of MRFRS is we look at our adoption program that, you know, we believe every cat has that potential, right? And so um, we like to even say we specialize sometimes in the harder to place kitties. Really? And yeah, so sometimes people might say, hmm, do I want a senior cat or 
Um, like if we're talking about these, they're potentially they were deemed feral or, as we like to say, maybe a little spicy personality. <laughs> um, Good word. But with patience and time, they're really they're going to be just fine inside a house with the right person. So so we really look at. Um, we also specialize in adoptions for feline leukemia cats. Wow. Um, so we will cat you know the cats with us until it's time to to find that right match with the person. Our counselors work really hard to. You know, again, as part of that is the education and what's the right fit for someone coming in and applying. Um, but then we're able to find, like we said, the right fit. And it's wonderful to see um, because there is always that, that right match that's out there. Sometimes it takes a little longer, but with the right patients, and I'm sure, you know, Tracy, you've seen this too, cats, once they know they're safe, and this is my person and my home. It's yes. amazing how they can blossom and come out of that. It's, it's amazing. That is one of the, I think, one of the great payoffs of being a cat lover and cat owner is the blossoming and the patience required. And then when it, mm-hmm. when it, when that cat's personality and sense of confidence and safety begins to bloom, you can take credit. You, the human, you can. You created that safe space for them. I guess mm-hmm. in, a, in a nutshell, what I'd like to say about Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society is no cat left behind. And I think that is marvelous that you say no cat's going to be left behind. We are going to take care of each of them for, for the best life that we can help them have and, and never give up. So, Karen, thanks for the great work you guys are doing. I can't wait to partner with you next year for the fifth annual New York Cat Film Festival. We're going to obviously, the theater, the screening room, is probably going to want to book a whole week's worth. I mean, sellouts (laughs) are great, but we don't want anyone to be left behind. We want all the humans possible to have the experience and support the work you're doing. Thank you again for your wonderful partnership and the work you do day in and day out and to all your volunteers. Thank you so much, Tracy. A pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support all of these companies because they stand behind my mission, which is to bring you delightfully informative Pet Talk Radio. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like no-hide chews and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Weimaraner Maisie will eat. I'm very grateful also to Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two extraordinary women, Allison and Hannah, who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.